Hi, everyone. I am very excited about today. I was talking to Chris McNutt on the, on the phone, and we were talking about the pandemic and teaching and everything. And I said, Chris, we just need to record this. And so, <laughs> hi, Chris, I'm glad you're here. Hi, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to talking to you about uh, basically humanizing education and seeing what we can do during a pandemic. I know. I mean, this is so needed right now, especially I'm sure you have talked to so many teachers. I have, too. It's it's just been um, really difficult. And so uh, do you want to just tell a little bit about you first? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, my name is Chris McNutt. I'm a ninth grade digital design teacher out at Global Impact STEM Academy in Springfield, Ohio, which is a public magnet school. And I'm also the executive director of Human Restoration Project, which is an organization aimed at promoting progressive education. So when I saw that, I, I just I was I was blown away. And we had when we were talking, I said, you know, people need to know about what you're doing. But we also some of the things are so important right now that we have to talk about. And um, right. you mentioned humanizing pandemic teaching. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, look at look at the world that we find ourselves in, right? COVID nineteen has exacerbated that dehumanized, uh, basically, protocols of school that we've seen for quite a quite a while. You know, decades, maybe even centuries, where students are in the old school fashion, sitting in rows. They you know are forced to memorize information, and COVID now has added the extra layer of separating people. Uh, watching them through proctoring software, et cetera, um, which just doubles down on that traditional practice that we've seen. It does not promote a love of learning. However, there are ways that we can humanize that and make it more bearable. Oh, and, and you know, you were talking about, because I've been talking about humanizing teaching for <laughs> about 35 years. And so it's not just something in the pandemic, right? It, this is... Right. I think that's maybe when we started talking on the phone, we were both like, yeah, and, and what about this? And what about that? You know, so bring, bring up what some of the things we talked about, because that was amazing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So uh, it's, to me, the main issue that we see are systems in education. It's not that there are just a few bad teachers or a few good teachers that are making the pandemic not work or making it work in terms of teaching. The problem is, is that the system of education itself lends itself to us valuing things like standardized test scores or valuing, quote unquote, academic gains over time, while never questioning, well, what is it that we really want to see out of the classroom? What do we want our students to be and what do they want to be? And I would make the argument that if you ask a student, hey, what do you want to do after high school? What are your goals out of K-12 they will not tell you that they want to increase their standardized test scores. They're going to talk about a lifelong love of learning or they want to go do something or they want to start a family. All these various different ideas that we're just missing out on because the systems of education are all aligned at this very uh, rote memorization based goal. So we can move away from things like grades or tests or proctoring and move towards things like restorative justice and equitable practice and promoting student voice in the classroom. Oh my goodness. Okay. So we're going to go deep there for a minute because, um, the, the 
concern I have is that many of the teachers, this is how they were taught. This is what the system's been like for over 150 years now, or 130 years. I can't remember, 1896. We've had separate subjects. We have grade levels. We have all of the things that you mentioned. And to change a system, I mean, this is a, a perfect time to do it, right? I mean, if, if right. because we now have opportunities where we have to change the way we teach. Yeah, I mean, probably the the catch twenty two situation of COVID nineteen has been we are in a perfect scenario to reimagine what the education system looks like. However, in most districts, what we're seeing is a doubling down on what things were like in order to maintain the status quo, um, and and that happens for a variety of different reasons, but. Really, it's it's a top down accountability presence that forces teachers to think, oh, I can't change things within my four walls because my district wants me to uphold a certain set of standards. So it's not like I'm blaming teachers for the problems that they're facing. Instead, I'm proposing that teachers can use things like creative noncompliance, which is where you you say one thing and do another in order to humanize your classroom as much as you possibly can. And by taking mitigated risk, which is where you recognize it's going to be very difficult for a first year teacher to say, I'm not going to give out work every day, even though my district says I have to versus a 10 year teacher who's been there for a while or a teacher that's backed by a union, etc. So really, it's using our social and political capital to fight for our students and really listen to our students and act on their wishes. It, I, you know, I'm just going to bring up a few things. One, parents. Parents only know what they know, too, and how they were as students, and they don't understand the power of what you're saying. So that, and we also have students, especially high school students that are compliant, that want the grades so they can get into the college or get to do what they want to do it, you know, I mean, what they need to graduate. Yeah, so- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like to to break that down with um, some language that we would use and some systems that we would change, if we focus, let's say, on grades, uh, we have students that chase the A that are extrinsically motivated by getting a good grade. But the problem, as we all know, is that if students then don't get that A, then it turns into a a literal mental breakdown uh, and it causes extreme stress. And really, over time, what we're seeing is students missing that lifelong love of learning, because when you detach that grade then from what it is they want to obtain, they, they no longer have it. They no longer want to chase that idea. So we work with our students. And we, at HRP, we call it deprogramming, which is where we talk to students about why we're doing what we're doing. And we explain to them the research that surrounds motivation and grades. And we also talk about that with parents. So we'll reach out to parents and say, hey, we're doing this because we care about your student. And for students who traditionally don't do very well in school, maybe like D or F students, they tend to do way better within a system that's more humanized where you do things like potentially co-negotiate a grade at the end of the year, or you have students lead every single grade-based conversation, or if it's possible, getting rid of grades altogether, which some districts have done. Um, We've seen some districts during COVID-19 switch over to pass-fail uh, which is much better than an ABCD system. It's not perfect, but it's certainly better. And within your own classroom, you can shift your practice so that let's say you have to give out a weekly grade. Well, every Friday, have students send you an email and say what grade they earned that week and why, and just talk to them about it. And you'll be completely surprised by how much students will lead in that conversation and how honest they'll be about what to expect. 
Well, I see, I see the same thing. Um, I mean, I love what you're saying. The idea of deprogramming is, I don't know if some people would like hearing that, <laughs> but it, but it is that we <laughs> have to unlearn what we've been learning all along because right. we only know what we know or what we were taught. Sometimes we, we don't really see, we think that that's okay, but the, the world is different now. And especially now through COVID, I mean, a lot of us are, and I, I mean, I just let you know, I work with teachers who wanted to show me their classroom on Zoom or Google Meet, and it was the same classroom. They just changed the whiteboard, put it behind them, and they still were doing worksheets, and they were still doing the same thing. And, you know, that's what they know. So we don't, I don't want to shame. I just want to, I, it's like, how do we change to make learning more authentic, real, and personal, so they're more motivated to want to learn. Yeah, I mean, really comes down to making the classroom more authentic space. And the only way to truly make an authentic classroom is to ask students what it is that they want to do. We put a lot of pressure on our shoulders to reinvent teaching during COVID-19 and make these amazing lesson plans and use all these different tech tools. And those are great ideas. However, if students aren't the ones leading that conversation, it's going to quickly lead to burnout because it takes a ton of work to plan for every single student during a, a regular class, let alone during a pandemic. And or, uh, students may not go along uh, with wanting to do those things. They might not opt into even the cool, engaging lessons that you thought were going to work. So instead, we could open up our class by literally saying, hey, what do you want to learn out of this unit? What's interesting to you? Or developing projects that are extremely open-ended by, let's say, making a connection with a global uh, like international coalition and saying, Hey, uh, we're going to talk about SDGs, which is what we're doing right now. Um, in my class, we're talking about SDG number two, which is uh, food insecurity. And we're talking to different countries around the world, taking advantage of the fact that students can work asynchronously and talk to people online. It's really cool. And students can do almost whatever they want. And if they want, they have the option of opting out altogether. They could do a completely separate project on something different. As long as we can co-negotiate meeting the standards that we're set out to do, um, if they don't want to work with those global groups, okay, it's their choice. Ultimately, I would rather my students be motivated than be forced into doing something that I think is cool. Oh, see, I love it. See, I'm a Teach SDGs ambassador and I don't know if everyone in my audience will know what that is or what these SDGs are. They're the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and there are 17 of them. So you probably give kids a, an opportunity to either work on one of the goals or they can choose a goal or look at a different target within a goal. Is that what you do? Yeah. Yeah. So our current setup for our, our most recent project is our school is centered on uh, food and agriculture. So right now we're focused on SDG number two because it's it's actually like a set of our standards is meeting food and agriculture uh, based things. So students choose between one of the subcategories of SDG two. Um, we're working with a group called Inspire Citizens and they've connected us with Malawi and Kenya and uh, Beijing and, and Honduras and students are using Flipgrid and Soundtrap through Spotify to communicate for, via audio and video and talk about uh, everything from like what they eat. So like a super basic conversation about sharing their plate, which was really fun to now talking about, well, what's food insecurity look like in your part of the world? What does it mean uh, to be food insecure and who's working to solve those problems? Who in your who in your uh, area 
is either a farmer or a biotechnologist or someone who is working to make a change. And they're sharing out those stories and those interviews with each other. Uh, and it, it's interesting to see that students, I think, often assume in the United States that other parts of the world are much worse off than they are. And we see the stereotypical like star starving children in Africa, which is a stereotype. And they get to see like, oh, there actually are wealthy areas in different countries. There are poor areas in different countries. And I teach an area where, honestly, where the school is located, there are many food insecure people. And we can have a local connection to the global world and really get that, that global connectedness surrounding this issue of food security and how we'll solve it. So I do know Steve Sosnick and Aaron Moniz from Inspire Citizen and also Donna Gurren. They do the global youth media. Are you do are there are your students then yeah. creating yeah, yeah. oh I wanna maybe we can share one of those or put them up because that would be kind of fun to put with yeah, the yeah. project. Yeah, so the the global youth media piece is I believe where the projects are going. It's not done yet, so it's it's still in development. But the idea is that once these interviews and podcasts are done, they'll be posted to global youth media and then shared out. Oh, that's fantastic. So um you know <laughs> The idea of what you're talking about is that human-centered classroom. You're making it more human, more real, opening the world to your students, which is kind of what I've been wanting to do, Chris. This is so cool. I, you know, you're you're having your kids have a voice, have a choice. They're also motivated because they they're looking at different options. And working, they're collaborating, and they're collaborating not only within the class or outside the class. This is, this can be done, right? It could be done at any age level too, right? Right, right. So, the, I mean, the students we're working with are anywhere between, I believe, six twelve. Um, so we have a pretty large range of students who are working with. And what's nice is, is that when you develop projects where students lead most of the learning it really minimizes the amount of work you have to do outside of the classroom. Um, it, I mean, honestly, right now, it's very difficult to be a teacher. There's a ton of planning, a ton of, um, I wouldn't call it grading, but like mm -hmm. compliance type things, like is the student there, that kind of stuff. And a lot of parent phone calls to figure out what's going on. It's, it's hard to keep track of everything. And when we have projects like this, it really gives you time to check in with everyone, see how they're doing. And there's a pretty decent amount of downtime where we can talk to students, build those relationships, but also catch up on things, uh, which is perfectly fine. It's really hard to make that transition where what you imagine a quote unquote good teacher is, is someone standing in front of the room and doing like the Robin Williams bit and inspiring everybody when recognizing that really great teaching can just be kids doing really cool stuff, talking to each other. The room's pretty loud and you're just hanging out, finishing up some stuff up. And that's perfectly OK. Um, and, and that's really what a project environment is going to look like. Well, I mean, I've seen it and, and, you know, I, I actually done that a long time ago when I taught, but I also coach and I've seen, I've seen classes where the teacher is the co-learner and, and not the only expert in the room, which is what is not fair to teachers to put them in that position and, and letting parents know too, that they probably could be a co-learner along with this. And so what some places I'm hearing is that they're inviting students to find a mentor and the mentor could be another student. It could be the teacher or it could be a parent or it could be a community or partner. It could be so many things that changes the way learning is. Is that kind of what you're doing too? Right. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really is placing students on an almost equal power level to the teacher. And I, I would take it one step further, and maybe this makes me more radical, um, but I think it's important that students also understand the concept of creative noncompliance, and they also understand how to talk back to authority. Um, I, I'm not of the belief that teachers should uh, force students into learning. Um, they can convince them into learning, but it's an entirely different thing. And we can't operate classrooms where students are just shut down if they say no to what you're doing, because what what you're actually teaching is obedience to authority, obedience to authority. And yeah. look at the world as it is today. There are many people that fall in line and they don't want to go against the status quo. And really, if the entire time that you're in school, you feel like you're in a prison-like environment and everyone tells you what to do and how to move and exactly what you're doing at every single moment, of course, when you graduate, you're going to feel that way. But we have the power to change that by giving students a lot more freedom. Um, and then that freedom applies even outside of school. Uh, we talk about in the article as well, uh, getting rid of all homework. Uh, the research on homework is not there. Uh, there is so much research that showcases that really all it does is hurt family time and hurt all of the free play activities that you could do outside of the classroom. It's okay to do like enrichment activities where uh, students maybe are doing projects outside of school because they want to, or they're finishing something up. That's okay. But when we're giving pointless worksheets or just giving just random stuff to do because we feel like they need stuff to do, it, it doesn't work. And then grading on it. I mean, I, you know, I've seen this mm. because I've seen, I've heard from students say, I have, you know, for every grade, I have an hour of homework. <laughs> I mean, every subject. By the time it's six hours, mm -hmm. they don't have any time to play or, or have time with their family, which is ridiculous, especially now. So, okay, so let's mm -hmm. go back to this pandemic. And the idea of some idea, you know, techniques or strategies that teachers and administrators could start humanizing the teaching. Right. Well, what do you have? So, to, yeah. So to me, the, the core basis of this isn't necessarily doing something new. It's getting rid of a lot of stuff. It's assuming that we can trust students by dismissing a lot of assumptions we have about them. Uh, for example, one thing I see a lot of right now are schools installing uh, things like Proctorio or different test surveillance software to ensure students don't cheat, mm -hmm. at which case I question, well, what is the point of giving a test that one, you can't use outside resources on, but two, assumes that the learner will cheat? Like what kind of test are you giving that someone feels like they have to cheat on it when really it's a place of learning, not of high stakes accountability? So I would start by just getting rid of anything that you feel someone could cheat on from home. If they can cheat on it from home, then it's not authentic learning. It's you forcing someone to memorize something. Uh, the second thing I would do is just in general, giving students more time to do everything and slowing way down, getting rid of homework, stopping grading everything, and just centering on checking in on people, seeing how they're doing, give, build, give and build time for relationships, and I really center a lot of work on projects that we can do. We were just talking about the SDGs project, but maybe it's uh, connecting with the community and talking to people about your subject area. Maybe it's connecting with like the historical society. There are so many different organizations right now that 
really don't have a lot to do when it comes to connecting with the community like they normally do. And there's waiting for someone to speak with. Um, and it's kind of cool that now we can do things via Zoom or Google Meet or whatever. You can record stuff. You can use Flipgrid to do asynchronous stuff. You can have them type back and forth. I mean, there's a million different ways that we can connect. And hybrid slash virtual gives us uh, different ways of doing so. Well, it's really interesting that you said that because I've had so many people reach teachers reach out to me as an author to just talk to the kids or talk to other people that are interested in wanting to write. And I'm thinking there's probably a lot of authors out there or there's probably a lot of scientists or there's, I mean, I've reached out to different people who I never thought would say yes, who have said yes, because they're just sitting there waiting to do something. (laughs) So that's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, any time that you can connect to the community is definitely worthwhile, um, especially right now when people feel very isolated. And there's so many ways kids can do it, too. There's other tools like Flipgrid or there's uh, tools that they can use at home. It's not always Zoom right. or there's Google Meet. There's different ones that they could do to set up something with a mentor, you know, just to get that mm-hmm. specific help. Wow, this has been wonderful. I think... Well, there's a lot of yeah. tips that you gave. Is there so the Human Restoration Project? I I'm really excited about this, and I think that people should know more about it. You also have a s- summit coming up. You have some other lots of resources. Do you want to share just a little be- about that before we go? Yeah, sure. So Human Restoration Project's a 501c3. We're a nonprofit. And on Saturday, we have a free event coming up, uh, some PD over our virtual learning handbook, which is a collection of uh, 20 different systems that we could change in education via uh, virtual or pandemic teaching. Because even if your school is entirely back, it does not look, hopefully, as it used to um, because of social distancing, et cetera. So what can we do to still be innovative, to still be human-centered in a place where we do have to be slightly more controlling um, to maintain people, people from getting sick. Uh, so on Saturday, we have that summit where we'll be talking with Julia Fliss, who's an awesome person, uh, to talk about what she's doing in her classroom, uh, in sixth grade uh, STEM classroom, as well as uh, the rest of us at HRP that are all educators. Um, and all those materials are available for free on our website, which is humanrestorationproject.org. And we said Saturday. I hope we get this up before then. That's November 14th. Mm. So we'll try the best we can. And um, if not, will it be recorded so people could watch it yep. later? Oh, that'd be great. Yep, you'll be able to find it on our website. And so we'll put a link to your website and all the other resources that you have up there that are wonderful. You also put together a wonderful post with a lot of resources and information for people. So this is but I, I'm really so grateful that you took this time and I'm glad we got to continue our conversation. It was just, <laughs> it's like when you talk to it's, someone and, and it pushes your thinking a little bit, but you've been thinking that, but you want to know a little more and a little more, a little more. We could have gone on forever. Yeah, of course, Barbara. I seriously appreciate uh, taking the time to speak with you, giving us the platform to talk about this stuff. And I look forward to seeing what people have to say. Oh, thank you so much. This is great. So you have a wonderful rest of the day.